السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد الحمد لله once again we're very blessed fortunate to be alive first of all before anything else if we're not alive we can't pray we can't come to the masjid we can't remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and this is what we are reminded to say each time when we wake up alhamdulillah alladhi ahyana without life we are nothing so the first thing is life appreciate life the fact that we're alive alhamdulillah Allah has given me another opportunity Allah has given me another day thank you Allah I'm so appreciative oh Allah oh Allah you've been so kind to me you've been so merciful to me your compassion is so visible to me it's in front of my eyes I can see that I'm alive. I can benefit from the many blessings that you have blessed me with. When we're wearing the clothes once again, Alhamdulillah, Allah has granted something to wear without any effort on my part. We answer the call of nature, Alhamdulillah. Allah help me relieve myself from that which caused me distress, caused me inconvenience. So we keep saying Alhamdulillah. Now, we've been discussing that as we go through life, Due to the different ups and downs that we experience, the stress and the distress that we have, we kind of sometimes learn different ways to deal with it. And as a result of this, what happens is sometimes we develop certain unhealthy thinking patterns and we call them a bias. Does anyone else remember another name we gave to it? We said there's a whole set of cognitive distortions that can happen when we start thinking in a certain way and there's one particular one that we've been speaking about for the last couple of weeks filtering okay so what happens is we start filtering so any situation arises whether it's about myself about another person about a situation we start filtering what happens with a filter is when you've got a filter you've got a sieve Okay, some things come to the bottom, some things remain. So when a person has a, 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 a mindset of filtering, what happens is you filter out all of the good and all that's left is bad. Whether it's sometimes about yourself, sometimes about some other people, sometimes about a situation. And why is it important we speak about this? Because this, this has a direct impact on our faith and our Iman. Because these are the type of people that end up, may not be vocalizing it straight away, but internally we sometimes think, why do bad things keep happening to me? Okay, and this is directly linked to our Iman. We believe in mind, body and soul. It's not just about the body and it's not just about, uh, you know, the, the heart. We believe in the soul as well and that's connected to spirituality. We believe in the life hereafter as well. And that's what differentiates us from the rest of the people of the world. So this particular question is very, very common. Why do bad things keep happening to me? And last week we went into this and we spoke about this in detail of why do bad things keep happening to certain people? Does it mean you're a bad person? Okay, some people develop this thing that if bad things keep happening to me, I must be a bad person. So we went into detail into discussing uh, why these things happen and um, what are the implications of it? How are bad uh, biases formed and what are the implications 
um, sometimes the implication is you feel that you're a failure. And so when a task comes up in your life, before you even start, I say to myself, well, I'm not going to do this good at this anyway. So before you start, you've already failed. So now will I put the effort in? I won't put the effort in. So then you'll tell yourself, well, look, see, I told you you're a failure. And we call this a self-fulfilling effect, self-fulfilling prophecy, where a woman, for example, tells herself that I'm really bad at relationships of being good friends. Now, when she does mix with a group of people, she'll tell people, you know what? I'm really bad at friendship. I'm not good at it. And now she'll do everything to prove that. And in the end, the other women will start saying, do you know what? She's not good at friendships. But she actually caused that herself. She's not a bad person. She's not bad at friendships. She started to believe that. When you start believing something, you start acting that way as well. It's like the placebo effect. With the placebo effect, the experiment was done where a group of people who had the same type of illness were given a certain type of medication. Half of the people were given the same tablet, but there was nothing inside. Or it was just sugar inside. But both categories of people, they became better. Half of them thought that they were having that medicine. They weren't really having anything. They thought they were having it. And just the thought of that made them better because they felt better about themselves. So sometimes this is what happens. And the reason we keep going down the same path, you might keep losing your job, for example. It happens once, it might happens again, happens again, happens again. A person's in a marriage keeps breaking down again, again, again. And you think, is there something wrong with me? Why, why does it happen to only me, not other people? Well, one of the reasons is, as human beings, sometimes we only know one way. And we keep trying that. We keep trying that same way because we've developed a habit. There are other ways out as well of a problem, of a stressful situation. Maybe it's beyond our comfort zone, or maybe we've not tried it, we don't know any better. So we're going to move on, inshallah. Uh, I gave you the example of Imam Abu Hanifa rahmatullahi as well, last week. Um, so, let's move on. And we speak about this from a psychodynamic dynamic perspective. That why do these things keep happening uh, to individuals? So sometimes what happens is we keep falling into the same unhealthy thinking patterns. Why? Because we're trying to resolve something from the past. Something's happened to somebody in the past and a person is still trying to resolve that in current situations. You might not realize, you might not do it, be doing it consciously, but this really helps us to understand the situation of why it's happening. I'll give you an example. Um, there's a girl who grows up in a family. She's growing up in a family and she witnesses an abusive relationship between mother and father. The father is very abusive. He's verbally abusive. Sometimes there's domestic violence involved. She grows up seeing this every single day. Very common scenario. It's nothing new I'm talking about. So she sees this growing up every single day. Now what happens is because this becomes something regular, she now develops a negative bias towards the world. And she thinks that the world is a very unsafe place. Jazakumullah she thinks that the world is a very unsafe place and um, the world is not a safe place to be in. She feels very vulnerable. She feels that um, she needs to be in safety. So now because of this, naturally she's attracted now to men that are stronger and much older than her. So when she's going to get married now, she's looking for a man because she's got this in her mind that the world is a very nasty place. This girl's now got in mind, I want to get married to a man who's much older than me and who's very strong. And she ends up being attracted to someone like this. 
and she gets married. In the beginning, everything's good because she feels safe. But eventually she finds that this same man who I'm attracted to is also violent towards me. And she ends up in exactly the same thing she was trying to run away from. Can you see? This is what tends to happen. This, is not, this example is not for all of us. But sometimes we end up in those things that we're trying to run away from or trying to resolve. So there's something that we're trying to resolve. That's one explanation given. Another explanation given is, why do these things happen? One is because we tend to go towards things we're comfortable with. Some things that we've experienced already. And this is what this girl was already experienced through an abusive relationship. So she's ended up in one growing up as well. She wanted to run away from it, but she's ended up in one. A another thing that's mentioned is, a lot of times as human beings, we've got this innate desire to resolve uh, a problem, to try and fix things. So sometimes, even though something's happened in our past, which wasn't very good, you maybe got abandoned. Maybe somebody betrayed your trust. Somebody, some, maybe somebody was abused. And that thing hasn't been resolved. You've not come to terms with it yet. So sometimes in future, we try and recreate that scenario with other people to try and resolve what happened in the past. And this is one of the reasons why you might find yourself falling into the same situation again and again. I don't know if I'm clear enough, but it's just trying to explain why do we keep falling into the same situation again and again. It's not because you're a bad person. It's not because you're a failure. This is one of the reasons why this tends to happen because you're trying to recreate a scenario from the past to fix something that happened years ago uh, with somebody else. Um, and if you feel that you're a magnet for bad things happening to you in life, some people say this, that bad things only happen to me. It doesn't happen to anybody else. Okay, it keeps happening. My car keeps breaking down. Okay, this keeps happening. I keep losing this. Or I keep getting this wrong. If you feel that you're a magnet for bad things happening, most likely, most likely, this is an indication that you could possibly be struggling with unhealthy thinking patterns, which is the same thing what we're talking about, a bias, a negative filter. You might have a negative filter, and because of this, what's happening is, uh, I've developed these unhealthy thinking patterns in these scenarios. And the best thing is, negative filters are not permanent. So this is the first thing. Negative filters are not permanent. They're not there for, yeah, unless you let them be. If you let them be, then they will be. But they're not permanent. They can be changed. You can change your thinking, your feelings, and your behavior through reflection and taking certain actions. It's possible to change it. So it's not going to be permanent. But the most logical thing to do, that if you have a negative bias, is to change it. Now, is it easy or hard? Would you think it's easy to do or hard to do? Yeah.
MashaAllah, that's brilliant. And that's very inspiring. And how did you get to that? Because there must have been a stage, I can imagine, where you didn't really know what the problem was. Yeah. So how do we, how do we get to this stage? Yes, so we need, we need what we call self-awareness. So something could, things could be happening, for example, again and again and again. And what happens is because this way of thinking that we've developed has been there for so many years, it might be difficult in the, in the beginning to actually see it for what it is. Because when you look at this bias that I've got or a negative thinking, it looks very logical. To me, it's true. I believe in it. It looks very logical. It looks very true. And I've been thinking like this for so many years. So initially, it's going to be a little bit difficult. But once a person has seen it for what it is, um, then inshallah, it'll be much more easier. So I give you an example. Um, and also, we've not seen the world from a different perspective. That's the perspective we've been seeing the world from for who knows, five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. And that's something that so kind of settles in one's mind. So how to reveal now we're getting a bit more practical. Last week we left it. We didn't really discuss any solutions, which I don't think it's very healthy. When you have any topic discussed, there should be some kind of um, target action to be taken and not just left hanging because then that can kind of leave people very confused of which direction to go in. So how do you reveal a negative bias? Or how do I reveal in my life if I am uh, filtering and taking away the positives and seeing the negative only. So the first thing that we ask ourselves is, what causes me the most distress on a regular basis in my life? What really like, causes you the most stress? Think about it. Just think for a moment. In my life, what causes me the most stress? What do I get stressed about, about the most? What causes me the most distress? And focus on not people, Focus on themes. Like, is there a pattern? Is there a theme at certain times of the day? Or is it in the presence of certain people or certain environments? Or is it when you're doing a certain thing? And then what, what, what kind of comes up for you? Is, it, is your distress based on having a conflict with other people? Is, it, is that what it is? Is it, is it feeling inadequate? A lot of times our stress is because I feel I'm not good enough. I go into a situation, I see everybody else is thriving. I feel, always feel inadequate, not good enough. Is it because fear of what other people might think? This is very common, very, very common. Constantly living in that thing of what other people are going to say. If we've grown up in this way, and if this is something that's been put into our mind again and again and again, that what are people going to say? What are people going to say? What are people going to say? We can develop this way of thinking. And then every scenario you're going in, it's, you're thinking, what are people going to say? Is it fear of abandonment? Okay, maybe somebody betrayed your trust and it, it was really painful. And a person hasn't come, got over this yet. So every time a similar situation arises, am I feeling that no, 
you get a bit distressed as soon as you start getting a bit close to somebody or somebody starts talking to you because you feel that this might happen again. Or is it feelings of being attacked, thinking people are against me? Someone's got something against me. People don't like me. Or everybody hates me. Everyone's out there to get me. This is a very common one as well. So that is one way of trying to see if we have a negative bias or a filter. The second thing to do is to see, do we have themes in our emotions? So the first was to do with our way of thinking. Now is to see in regards to our emotions. Is there a theme? Are we finding a pattern? For example, are there moments of chronic anger in our life or certain days in our life where we're just getting really angry? It could be with the spouse, it could be with the kids. There might not be any apparent reason, but you just feel so much more angry at certain times of the day, or you feel so very scared at certain times of the day, or very anxious in certain moments. And try to find a kind of a theme if that's happening. And once you found this, think about the environment. Is this something or someone present in the environment when you're facing these emotions each time? And you'll start finding a pattern. You start finding a pattern. Now, once we've worked this out, these two things, the first thing to work out is uh, what causes you the most stress? What kind of situations? Secondly, um, these chronic emotions that we get. Once we've found these two things out, then it becomes easier. We can start work. Then what you do, you start working backwards. Once you've found a pattern, you think, okay, I'm getting stressed out a lot at this time of the day. I think, why? Okay, is it because, and I see a pattern. Maybe it's because of being in this certain environment. Okay, why do I get these emotions when I go to this particular environment? Um, so for example, I'll, I'll give you an example. Imagine I was to think about myself. I'm looking back and I'm thinking, okay, there's certain times in the day I get really stressed. Maybe it's at work. Okay, when does it happen? Well, it normally happens when, when the boss is around at work. Okay, otherwise I'm fine. When he's, even though he doesn't say anything to me, I just get really just, something just happens to me. Uh, up until now, I just thought that I was just crazy in the head. Or I don't know what's wrong. But when you start thinking, you need to find this pattern. And think, hang on, yes, there's a pattern there. Normally I'm alright, Mondays I'm okay. Fridays I'm okay. It's only happening on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I think, why is it Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday? Oh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is when the boss is at work as well. But the boss doesn't really say anything to me. He's not done anything to me personally. Why is it I get really irked when he's around? Or can you see? We're finding a pattern now and a theme. Right? What happens to me? I get this burst of anger. Okay? I don't end up finishing my work. I end up being very responsive in a very rude way. Otherwise, no one's talking to me in a rude way. Why? So when we start looking in this, in this manner, what we find is I might find that I've got a negative filter, I've got a bias, and that is that I think other people have ill feelings towards me. That's my bias, for example. I think that other people have got ill feelings towards me, people think bad about me. Okay, they don't, they don't have my best interest at heart. So this is what I think. Now because of this, because of this, my view of people isn't generally good, it's negative. What will happen now? I'll tell you what will happen. For example, I will believe now, I will say, uh, my boss only asked me the question in the work meeting because he knew I didn't know the answer 
and he wanted to embarrass me in front of everybody. Can you see? Only I was picked to answer this question because he knew very well that I don't know the answer and he just wanted to embarrass me. In reality, was that true? No. But because of my filter, I believe that. And I'm living with that every single day in every scenario. A woman can think, my husband came late intentionally today because he didn't want to spend time with me. Which wasn't true. But this is what, this is the, this is the bias and this is the negative filter. Or oh, after years and years, and it's not easy to see this. And this ends up in an argument, this ends up in a fight. And it's just unresolved for so many years. For, some, for example, this is again a very common one which can apply to a lot of us. My friend doesn't respond to my WhatsApp message until later on because deep down he doesn't like me. He's seen the message, the blue ticks have appeared. Why does he not respond to me straight away? The reason he always delays because deep down he or she doesn't like me. Not, which probably is not true. Most likely 99.9% .9 isn't true. But if someone starts getting this negative filter, it will affect you in every single thing that you do. Why we're speaking about it in the masjid? Because it's totally related to your faith and your iman. Because this will lead a person, once this keeps happening again and again, a person will take it from there and think, why do bad things keep happening to me? Is life unfair with me? Why is Allah doing this? Which is not true. So this is why we need to work ourselves backwards out of this way of thinking. And the best time to do it is when you're feeling good. When a person's feeling down, it's very difficult to do this. You put biryani in front of a person who's unwell, okay, they won't, they won't want to eat it. So we have to work backwards. And we work backwards, so I've shown you how to do it. First of all, you find moments when you get most distressed. See if there's anything in the environment. Is there a pattern? Is there a theme? Number one. Number two, find moments of very strong emotions that you have. And again, see, are there any stresses in that environment? Is it with the presence of something or someone or certain types of food or certain smells? Or what is it? Just try and figure it out and then you can work backwards. Now, what will happen is having a negative filter will prevent us from seeing good, seeing positive, and we'll only see negatives, which isn't good. And why does this happen? Like I told you, it could be a number of reasons. One of them could be something that's happened to you, a situation that you went th through in the past. And sometimes, um, I could think about this. So some of you might think of this. Okay, let me think of when I get stressed the most. Okay, it's at this time. Um, when do I get the strongest emotions? Okay, this is the pattern. You might find that your greatest cause of distress is yourself. For some of us, the greatest cause of distress is yourself. How can that be? Because sometimes you become your worst critic. If you have a perfectionist mentality, um, what can then happen is, you can become your worst critic. Nobody else is causing you distress. You're causing yourself own distress. How, for example, um, what, if you keep saying to yourself, I can't do anything right. I can't do anything right. Is this common? Okay, some of us say this. I can't do anything right. For example, a person, how did I mess this up again? It keeps happening and you keep telling, how did I mess this up? 
Oh God, I'm so dumb. I'm so stupid. I'm just an idiot. There's a, there's a thing called being humble. Okay, and that's important. But there needs to be a balance. And no, you're not stupid. You're not, you're not an idiot. Okay, you don't mess everything up. But if that's all you can see yourself doing, and you keep telling yourself this, okay, I'm just not good at anything. How could I have messed this up again? And remember, you talk to yourself more than anybody else. And if I'm saying this again and again repeatedly, there'll be certain times in the day you might find that this triggers you. And you just think, you know, because you've got a perfectionist mentality. And the only people that are perfect are the Anbiya alayhim wassalam. No one else is perfect. We're all humans. We all make mistakes. Now, how do we deal with this? The way we deal with this kind of negative filter is we have to counter these thoughts with good, healthy thinking patterns. Now, in the beginning, it's not easy to do. What we have to do first is, as I said, you work backwards. Try and see, is there anything that triggers you? Is there anything? Is there a pattern? Is there a theme? Once we've found the theme, we try working backwards. And once we've identified, for example, if my negative filter is about other people, if I think people think bad about me, or people are out there to get me, or if somebody doesn't message me back and I think, what's going on? In, deep down, they probably hate my guts or something. Right? They don't want to know me. They don't want to spend time with me. And this is why they're doing this. Now, I have to work backwards and I have to do, what does Islam tell us to do on this occasion? Okay, what's a counter thought that I could have? We need to have for each of these negative thoughts, we need to have about three counter thoughts. Think of three positive counter thoughts that you can have. And this is not going to happen overnight. So don't lose hope. Don't become despondent. You do it for a few days. Well, this isn't working. Well, you've had these thoughts for years. It's going to take some time. If for years and years and years you've had a way of thinking, it's going to take time. But every single day we need to work on this. Every single day it's imperative that every person works on this. So when it comes to other people, if I think, oh, this person doesn't message me back because, you know, they probably don't like me or whatever. Now, that's to do with somebody else. Islam tells us something to husnul to think good of other people, make excuses. So a simple way of doing this is think of three excuses. Just think of three excuses that when this thought comes up about your friend, think of three excuses that you're going to tell yourself. Okay? Um, they've just had a newborn baby, for example. It's probably very busy. Probably got a work assignment to do. Or, uh, it's probably in a, an important meeting. Have some kind of, or, or alternatively, if you don't want it to be totally related to the actual message, you can have three counter thoughts thinking, if he really hated me, he wouldn't have invited me to his house once a month for a meal. Okay, so that's not true. He doesn't hate me. Okay, if she didn't dislike me, why did she give me this gift on my birthday, for example? If, for example, uh, she hated me, she wouldn't have rung up on me to check up on me every now and again. So can you see? Sometimes we develop these things and they stay because we're, we're, we're human beings, we're people of habit. Once you've developed a habit, okay, you keep going down the same road. There's other paths as well, but we don't take them. We just keep going, going down the same road. And we end up in the same place and then we think, you know what, the world isn't a good place, everyone's after me, and everything's working against me. That's not the truth. 
But to be able to see this, we need to work backwards, we need to come out. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us a tawfiq, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the understanding. Uh, Insha'Allah, next week we will speak about other ways how we can tackle this um, through things like visualization. Because remember, whenever we go through things like this, we actually, it's not just in the mind, okay, there are certain places in the body where this kind of distress, and we can call it trauma, lives as well. Like when you get stressed out, right? This is, uh, we'll talk about this more next week. But when you get stressed out, where, can, where, do you feel, where do you feel it the most in your body? Okay, some people feel it in the head. Some people feel it in their shoulders. Some get it in their neck. Some have it in their back. Okay, everyone has it in a different place. You can work on removing that from there. It's, it's because it lives, this stress, this trauma-related kind of uh, down feeling, it, it lives in certain parts of the body. Um, so by doing certain things, we can help get, get rid of this. Uh, because most of the time, this way of thinking, okay, it's not accurate. It's an inaccurate way of thinking that we've developed, which is not based on truth. And if we keep believing it, it's going to take us further and further away from the reality. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the tawfiq. Let's have a quick recap of last week's lesson. What was the question? What was the first qibla of the Muslims? Go on guys, fire away. Very good, mashallah. So Mawlana is reminding us that Masjid Al-Aqsa being the first Qibla, one of the things that Qibla does is unites people. What did it unite the people on? Faith, also Tawheed. Okay, this is very powerful. So the Qibla is very symbolic in Islam. What does it mean that Masjid Al-Aqsa is the first Qibla? Okay, it, it's the first place to unite people on Tawheed. Um, it unites people. It's a symbol of power. It's a symbol of glory for the Muslims. And had they been just right, pray to any direction, people would not have been united in their Tawheed. Physically, spiritually, on a faith base, people would not have been united. So it's very powerful. What else did we say about Masjid Al-Aqsa being the first Qibla? Uh, and how, how do we work out 14 and a half years? Because this is something that most people are not aware of. Because the hadith of Bukhari and Muslim clearly say that the Sahaba prayed towards Masjid Al-Aqsa for 16 or 17 months. So what we're saying now kind of contradicts what the hadith is saying. So how do we put the two together? Okay, so how long were the Muslims in Mecca? 13 years. 
And for 13 years, the Prophet وسلم, and the Sahaba, did they pray Salah? They did. They did pray Salah. So what happened in Mi'raj then? We thought Salah came down in Mi'raj. No? Five times Salah came in Mi'raj. Okay, that's the difference. The Salah that was ordained in Mi'raj was five times Salah. Prior to that, there was a Salah. What was the Salah? Two in the morning, two in the evening. And the scholars of the Quran say, where Quran says, make the tasbih of Allah before the rising of the sun and after the setting of the sun, they agree that the word tasbih here is referring to salah. And they used to pray two rakat in the morning, two rakat in the evening, from the early days, where, Ya ayyuhal muzzammil qumil layla illa qalila. This ayah came down right in the beginning. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam sahaba are praying. And there's a hadith that says that he would pray whilst he was in Makkah towards Baytul Maqdis and the Qibla was in front of him. So all throughout the 13 years, they prayed towards Masjid Al-Aqsa. And then uh, Isra and Miraj, Salah, five times Salah came and they continued praying towards Masjid Al-Aqsa. Migration happens. The first Masjid in Islam to be built was In Islam, Masjid Quba. Masjid Quba Sahaba praying towards Masjid Al-Aqsa. Masjid Nabi is then built. The Sahaba are praying towards Masjid Al-Aqsa for another 16 or 17 months. This is how we come to the total of more than 14 years, almost 14 and a half years. Nabuwa was 23 years, 14 and a half years. The Prophet and Sahaba they prayed towards Masjid Al-Aqsa. And this was done until uh, it was seen that a very strong connection had been built between the Sahaba and Masjid Al-Aqsa. And then Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala ordained that Masjid Al-Aqsa will no longer be the Qibla and the Qibla will revert back to the Kaaba. Also, what else did we notice that happened here? with all of the prophets being present. So all of the prophets prayed together at Masjid Al-Aqsa uh, under the leadership of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And this was a sign that the leadership of this Ummah uh, will commence from here. We already know the Hadith mentions toward the end of time, the leadership will be over here. Um, so the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam indicated towards this. Um, and we had a campaign last week to say that how would you respond to someone that's skeptical in regards to the virtue of Masjid Al-Aqsa after it was no longer the Qibla. Somebody could say that's no longer a Qibla now. It's all about the Kaaba. So how could you speak to somebody and explain to them that Masjid Al-Aqsa is still virtuous? I don't know if anybody got a chance to do this and talk to anybody. Okay, that's good, alhamdulillah. So like Mawlana is saying, we've been through a lot of things, but now it's your turn. What, this is what we're trying to achieve. It's your turn now to go out 
and speak to people about these things. Whatever little information you have, okay, and to start speaking to people. We share things on social media normally. We talk to people. We come across family members. On the weekends, we'll meet certain relatives. So in our discussions, this is something that we need to start bringing in as well, uh, inshallah. Okay, so let's move on to today's lesson. Lesson number, who remembers? 54. Okay, today's question is, which was the second masjid to be placed on earth? Which was the second masjid to be placed on earth? Very particular about the wording, placed on earth as opposed to built. Okay. So to answer this question, we need to look at the beautiful hadith narrated by a great companion, Sayyiduna Abu Dhar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. In Sahih Muslim, we hear that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam was asked by this great companion, Sayyiduna Abu Dhar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, ayyu masjidin wudi'a fil ardi awwalan. He asked which masjid was placed. He didn't say which masjid was built. Okay, buniya. Buniya means to be built. Wudi'a means to be placed. Right? And Allah uses this word. It's very interesting in the Quran. When Allah speaks about this as well, He uses the word wudi'a. Inna awwala baytin wudi'a fil ard. Lalladhi bi bakkatu mubarakan wa hudan lil alameen. And over here, Abu Dhar radiallahu ta'ala asked the same question. He says, which masjid was placed on earth first? And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, what did he reply? Masjidul haram. What's he referring to? Masjidul haram means? We're not talking about Makkah. Makkah came years afterwards. There was no Makkah. There was no Makkah city. The Makkah, Makkah city of Makkah actually comes years after. Okay, we're speaking about the Kaaba. When he says Masjidul Haram, it's actually speaking about the Kaaba. That's what he's speaking about. Not the city of Makkah yet because that doesn't exist. That came after a very long time. So we're talking about just the Kaaba first. Then he said, which was the next Masjid to be? placed on earth and the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said masjidul aqsa here he actually says masjidul aqsa uh, and then he asked another question the third question was what was the duration between the placing of the first masjid on earth and the placing of the second masjid on earth and the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said 40 years now this hadith clearly informs us that Masjid Al-Aqsa was a second masjid to be placed on earth. What does it mean placed on earth? Placed on earth to establish the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to become the center of Tawheed. Just like the Kaaba was the first center of Tawheed. So the vicinity of the Kaaba is the first place to receive the message of Tawheed on earth. The second place to be established as the center of Tawheed and the second city to receive the message of Tawheed in the whole world is the city of Jerusalem and the surroundings of Masjid Al-Aqsa, the second place in the whole world. And this is, this is amazing, right? That's how significant this place is and how closely connected these two places are from the beginning of time. They're connected by Tawheed because the first masjid was placed for this reason, the second. So this initiated a very strong link and bond between the Kaaba and Masjid Al-Aqsa, a very old one as well from the beginning of time. Now what's very interesting is the use of the word Wudi'ah. 
And over here, the hadith mentions Ayyu Masjidin Wudi'a instead of Buniya. Buniya means to build. And they were built, of course they were built. But here it's been, the, the expression is Wudi'a, meaning Allah placed. Allah had them placed. Allah placed them for a certain reason. And this was to establish ibadah, to establish tawheed, the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, and to become symbols of His worship. To become places where people will keep returning to. Mathabatan lin nas Quran says that this will, this will be a mathaba where people will keep returning to it. And that's what happens. We see to the Kaaba, people come and go, they keep going back. And Masjidul Aqsa also, it's a place where people keep coming and going. And we've been told to undertake a journey towards it. Now, it's commonly believed that the Kaaba was built by Sulaiman, uh, Ibrahim salam, and Masjidul Aqsa was built by. Suleiman alayhi salam. Is that true or false? Everyone's quiet. Yeah, let's try and answer this question first. Was the Kaaba built by Ibrahim alayhi salam and was Masjid al Aqsa built by Suleiman alayhi salam? True or false, first of all? True, the Kaaba was built by Ibrahim salam, and Masjid al-Aqsa was built by Suleiman salam. This is true. However, they weren't the first to build. This is the difference. They were part of the reconstruction and the renovation, but they weren't those who initiated the building. They weren't the first to build. Because this whole world, the idea of this world, Allah created this world so that He is worshipped. So the first thing He did was establish a place of worship at the hands of the first person who came to worship. And that was Prophet Adam alayhi salam. Hafiz ibn Hajar al-Sqalani rahmatullahi, Imam al-Qurtubi rahmatullahi, many, many great scholars, okay, they are of the opinion and they agree that the first to build the Kaaba in the awwal abaytin wudi alin nas lalladhi bi bakkata mubarakan bahudan lil alameen. This ayah is saying that the first house which was placed on earth for mankind, mankind started from Adam alayhi salam, not from Ibrahim alayhi salam, okay, was the Kaaba in Makkah al Mukarramah. So, this is the first house. Who was who built it? Adam alayhi salam. And then 40 years after him, Masjid al Aqsa was built by. Prophet Sulaiman alayhi salam, and we understand this through the hadith that we've just mentioned now of Abu Dhar radiallahu ta'ala. Try and remember this hadith where Abu Dhar radiallahu asked the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam which masjid was placed on earth first. He said, Masjidul Haram. Which was second? Masjidul Aqsa. How long between the two? 40 years. So if Adam alayhi salam, right in the early days, he built the Kaaba, 40 years later, he built Masjid al Aqsa. Now there is an ongoing propaganda, right? To try and delete more than 2000 years of human history and to show that Suleiman was the one who built Masjid Al-Aqsa. If we believe this, then we are deleting almost 2000 plus years or however many thousand years there were before him of Masjid Al-Aqsa being existent on earth. So this is what's being pushed to try and take this part of history away and for people to believe that Suleiman so that they can say that we are the ones who initiated this project 
this masjid belongs to us. Whereas in reality, the hadith is clearly telling us, Sahih authentic narration, that the Masjid Al-Aqsa was built 40 years after the Kaaba, and the Kaaba was built by Adam alayhi salam. So most likely Masjid Al-Aqsa was also built by Prophet Adam alayhi salam. So the history of Masjid Al-Aqsa goes all the way back to the beginning of Earth. Okay, to the beginning of Earth, the first thing what happens is the Kaaba is built. 40 years later, Masjid Al-Aqsa is built. Now, this week's campaign. What's this week's campaign? This week's campaign is, what is the Islamic and historic proof to show Masjid Al-Aqsa was the second masjid to be placed on earth? So this week, we want you to go out there and explain this message to at least five people. What is the Islamic and the historic proof to show that Masjid Al-Aqsa was the second masjid to be placed on earth? You've been given the tools. The hadith is there of Abu Dhar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. It's in Sahih Muslim. And if you're unsure about it, you can check this. It goes, he asked the question, which was the first masjid to be placed on earth? And this beautiful hadith is something that we can share. Who's making this intention, inshallah? That this week, we're going to try and share this with at least five people. Next week, when we come back, I'm going to ask you, inshallah, did you share it with five people? Okay, and if you could do it in person, even better. If not, we're using our phones all the time. At least try and share it with five people, inshallah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us a tawfiq. Now, inshallah, we'll give some time for Quranic recitation. Jazakumullah khairan. Just a quick update on what's happening. There's been a lot happening actually, but just mention one thing. Um, so, I'm not sure if you're aware, but. The official um, juristic law that applies in Jerusalem um, is of the chief rabbinate, the chief rabbi. And there's two plaques. One is at the Moroccan gate and one is at the chain gate of Masjid Al-Aqsa. Huge plaques. And on these plaques, it clearly says that it's forbidden for any Jewish person to step foot on what they call it, they call it Temple Mount. We call it Masjid Al-Aqsa. So this is the chief rabbin, or the chief rabbi, and it's the original Orthodox Jewish law. Um, and they believe this that until the until the Messiah doesn't come, who they believe is the Jal, um, it is forbidden for any Jewish person to step foot inside Masjid Al-Aqsa, which they call Temple Mount. Um, based on which uh, many people actually don't go in there because they know it's forbidden. However, we're seeing um, a lot of ultra-right-wing groups uh, amongst these people um, who we refer to as a lot of the settlers who are going and traveling and moving there from different parts of the world. And these are right-wing individuals who have a different interpretation of this law. So, and, and in all honesty, that's their ruling, that's their law. And we understand this and we respect them for this, for abiding by it, for those who do. That's their law, they respect it, that's what they believe, and that's there. But you've got a lot of people now um, who come under this category of the settler movement. They've got a lot of seats in the uh, Israeli parliament, which is the Knesset. 
and they have a lot of influence on, on how the government runs. The reason I'm giving you this backstory is so that you understand what's happening and all of the incursions that happen inside Masjid al-Aqsa is as a result of this. Otherwise, this is not the original Jewish law that is being practiced there because they're not allowed, it's forbidden. So they're breaking this, they're reinterpreting it, giving it a different meaning and, and going in. So what's happened now is that the Hebrew New Year is about to come. So they've actually given permission for the blowing of the shofar horn. You've probably seen that they have this horn that they have, which they blow on their celebrations. So they've been given permission, number one, to blow this in Maqbara Rahma, where just next to the two Sahaba's graves, Shaddad ibn Aus and Ubadah ibn Samit, which is very sad to witness and to see and to hear that this has already started happening that this horn is being blown at the, by the graves of two Sahaba. And now, openly, they have been given permissibility to go in inside Masjid Al-Aqsa and carry out this ritual, whereas up until very recently, it wasn't allowed to do any kind of prayer there, let alone carry these religious things with them inside and then to blow the horn. So the reason I mention this is we continue making dua, we continue our concern, there's a lot of work still to be done, it's not over. And, and we, we, we're stand, starting from a very ground level of just raising awareness. So you speaking to five people this week about Masjid Al-Aqsa being the second Masjid to be placed on earth is not something small. Don't think, what's that going to do? This is a stepping stone in the right way. It's inshallah, this will start, if we, this is how we're going to build, through knowledge inshallah. Knowledge is power or knowledge is potential power, should I say, if you use it. Only those people will benefit who take action. Inaction has never led to any kind of result. So it's, it's good listening, right? But we need people of action now. So Alhamdulillah, we come here, we listen. Okay, but we don't want to just stop on listening. Let's just listening is good, but it's not sufficient. Those who listen really well and then they act really well as well. So we've heard, now it's time to do. So it's your turn now, inshallah, throughout the week, find five people, okay, with this in mind that Masjid Al-Aqsa needs your help and support. And the way you're going to do it is through spreading beneficial knowledge and awareness. This is the first step, inshallah, we will take. May Allah give us a tawfiq. Yes, that's true. The Haifa, the red cow, they found some of these in certain countries. Uh, yes, so, so that's something that happens annually. Um, and the sacrificial lamb as well, they've been trying for years now to do that inside Masjid Al-Aqsa. Um, many a times people have been caught trying to smuggle it in. But they've done it right on the walls of Al-Aqsa. They've done it at the front side, the right side, behind. Um, but the aim is to do it inside. May Allah not make it happen, but the way things are going, it's worrying in that sense because it's all going in that direction. And, and, and like I said, the original law, Jewish law, this is not Jewish law that's being practiced. That's my main point here to mention that. We respect them for that, for them ensuring that the signs are there and those who believe in the original religion of whatever they believe in, they go abiding by it. So there's a, like everywhere, it's a fringe movement, but it's gaining a lot of power and popularity there. Um, and, and these are the people who overpower the government now as well and have an uh, impact and uh, an influence on the decisions and the policies that are being made. 
uh, on a daily basis and we can see the gods of Al-Aqsa are almost inactive like they don't have any power now whatsoever they're there but they, they cannot do anything otherwise they would overlook these kind of things and ensure these things don't happen but they're not allowed now they get arrested they get beaten many of them have lost their eyesight they get attacked just for carrying out their their duty and it, uh, just in the last week to facilitate these incursions how many of our muslim sisters were beaten were imprisoned were banned from aqsa for months on end just because of they were praying there and they didn't they wanted to clear the whole area uh, to facilitate this incursion so we continue making dua it's not over um, just because the news isn't telling you these things that doesn't mean because what happens normally is when it's on the media everyone gets excited and then it dies down but it's not it's it, the situation is much worse now than it was in ramadan okay or two ramadans ago when everybody was excited about it the situation is much worse than it's ever been uh, when you look at the reality on the ground so our effort should be increasing and not decreasing may allah give us a tawfiq Recite the Sharif Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa barakatuh salli La ilaha illa Allah, 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 la ilaha illa Allah. Subhanallah, walhamdulillah, wa la ilaha illa Allah, wallahu akbar, wa la hawla wa la quwata illa billahi al-ali al-azim. Subhanallah, walhamdulillah, wa la ilaha illa Allah, wallahu akbar, Wala hawla wala quwwata illa billahi al-ali al-azim Subhanallah walhamdulillah Wala ilaha illa Allah wallahu akbar Wala hawla wala quwwata illa billahi al-ali al-azim Subhanallah walhamdulillah ولا إله إلا الله والله أكبر ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم 
سبحان الله وبحمده سبحان الله العظيم سبحان الله وبحمده سبحان الله العظيم سبحان الله وبحمده سبحان الله العظيم سبحان الله وبحمده سبحان الله العظيم سبحان الله وبحمده سبحان الله العظيم سبحان الله وبحمده سبحان الله العظيم سبحان الله وبحمده سبحان الله العظيم سبحان الله وبحمده سبحان الله العظيم استغفر الله 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 والله 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 لا إله إلا الله محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد يا ذا الجلال والإكرام يا ذا الجلال والإكرام يا ذا الجلال والإكرام لا إله إلا أنت سبحانك إني كنت من الظالمين وإلهكم إله واحد لا إله إلا هو الرحمن الرحيم اللهم لا أحسي ثناء عليك أنت كما أثنيت على نفسك جز الله عنا سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم ما هو أهله رضينا بالله ربا وبالإسلام دينا وبمحمد صلى الله عليه وسلم رسولا ونبيا الحمد لله الذي هدانا لهذا وما كنا لنهتدي لولا أن هدانا الله اللهم لك الحمد كله ولك الشكر كله اللهم لك الحمد ولا نعمة الإيمان ولك Alhamdulillah, O kind and loving Allah, O most merciful and compassionate Allah, O most forgiving Allah, O most generous Allah, O Allah, grant us your forgiveness, O Allah. You love to forgive sins, O Allah. We are sinners, O Allah. We have committed many wrongs, O Allah, from head to toe. We are drowning in our sins, O Allah. O Allah, you love to forgive sins, O Allah. Please forgive us, O Allah. Forgive the sins of the day, the sins of the night, the sins we committed openly, the sins we committed secretly. O Allah, we possess every type of sin, O Allah. 
and you have the power and the capability to forgive everything, O oh Allah. Nothing is beyond you, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, you can do absolutely anything, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, you can forgive sins, O oh Allah. You are the only one that can forgive, O oh Allah. You love to forgive sins, O oh Allah. We beg you for your forgiveness, O oh Allah. Grant us your forgiveness, O oh Allah. We are in need of your forgiveness, O oh Allah. Forgive us, O oh Allah. Grant us your maghfirah, O oh Allah. Wipe away our past, O oh Allah. Help us to start all over again, O oh Allah. Create the hatred of sins in our hearts, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, grant us the love of your ibadah, O oh Allah. Grant us your love, O oh Allah. Grant us the love of Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Make it easy for us to obey you, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, help us to remain steadfast on your deen, O oh Allah. Grant us a life of taqwa, O oh Allah. Grant us a life of halal, O oh Allah. Protect us from all types of haram, O oh Allah. We are in need of your help and your assistance, O oh Allah. Guide us, O oh Allah. Protect us, O oh Allah. Help us, O oh Allah. Assist us, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, do not turn us away, O oh Allah. We have come to you begging for your mercy, O oh Allah. We are in need of your mercy, O oh Allah. We are desperately in need of your mercy, O oh Allah. Shower us with your mercy, O oh Allah. Shower our homes with your mercy, O oh Allah. Shower our families with your mercy, O oh Allah. Shower the whole ummah with your mercy, O oh Allah. Have all mercy on the ummah of Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Forgive the ummah, O oh Allah. Guide the ummah, O oh Allah. Protect the ummah, O oh Allah. Alleviate the sufferings of the ummah, O oh Allah. Help us to serve the Ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah have mercy on our parents, O oh Allah. Look after them, O oh Allah. Take good care of them, O oh Allah. Protect their Iman and their Islam, O oh Allah. Accept their good deeds, O oh Allah. Forgive their shortcomings, O oh Allah. Grant them good health and afiyah, O oh Allah. Those of our parents who have left the world, fill their graves with nur, O oh Allah. Elevate their status on the hereafter, in the hereafter, O oh Allah. Unite us with them in Jannah and Firdaus, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, time will come when we all have to leave the world. Make our last day our best day, O oh Allah. Allah. Make our final action our best action, O oh Allah, and grant us death with Iman and Islam with the Kalima La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah. O oh Allah, make us from amongst the Shakirin, O oh Allah. Make us from amongst the Shakirin, O oh Allah. And make us people of gratitude, O oh Allah. Make us from amongst those who always appreciate every blessing of yours, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, you have showered us with your blessings, O oh Allah. We don't have the words to thank you, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, you have given us so much, O oh Allah. We are constantly living in your blessings. O oh Allah. Oh Allah, we thank you, O oh Allah. We appreciate every blessing of yours, O oh Allah. Make us from among those who are grateful, O oh Allah. Safeguard us from being ungrateful, O oh Allah. Protect us from being ungrateful, O oh Allah. Grant us the quality of shukr, O oh Allah, on every occasion. Rabbi awzi'ni an ashkura ni'mataka allati an'amta alay wa ala walidai wa an'amala salihan tarda wa aslih li fi dhurriyyati inni tubtu ilayk wa inni minal muslimin. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam asked of you many good things we ask of you the same he sought your protection from many evils we seek your protection from the same subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun wa salamun alal mursaleen alhamdulillah